in the previous four episodes, we covered just one competitor to OpenAI, such as Anthropics Claude. We have split this episode between two competitors. This week, Alex and I discuss Cohere and Mistral. We feel both of these startups are ones to keep an eye on, and for different reasons. Cohere is in the midst of a $1 billion round to enable malleable enterprise AI, and Mistral is pioneering open weight models and more transparent architectures. Alex and I also discussed the bitter lesson in AI and whether these companies can keep up with the market leaders in data acquisition and in compute power, both of which are apparently critical to improved capabilities and benchmark performance. Let's crack on with the episode. Welcome to the Notable Mentions versus OpenAI episode of Using AI, the podcast where we discuss how individuals and organizations are actually using AI and how they think about this space. I'm your host, Alex Den, and I'm joined by esteemed scholar and senior ML research scientist, Alex papadopoulos Kofiathis. Welcome back to another Alex and Alex episode. Alex. Alex. Maybe we should uh, get uh, another Alex to join Ginny so that we can have a triple Alex episode in the future. I, I think that would be too much, wouldn't it? I have to ask, though, when it comes to uh, referring to you as an esteemed scholar, I just the words yeah, came to me, but I'm not sure. What is are a scholar, you, Alex? Are you a scholar? Do, like, Can I find you on Google Scholar? You can find me on Google Scholar. If that's the criteria, then yes, I am a scholar. I oh, have hi. a PhD and I've researched in the past so but i don't know what the formal criteria to to be considered a scholar are interestingly it comes from a university student holding a scholarship but uh, a more archaic definition according to google is a person who is highly educated or has an aptitude for study but, but probably i'm a scholar then <laughs> yeah and you're certainly a specialist that's another definition uh, a specialist in a branch of study so you're definitely an ml scholar are you a scholar, Alex? No, I don't think so. Maybe one day, maybe one day. Not a scholar in the uh, typical sense. I, I tend to think of myself as a resourceful generalist. Um, I have some scholarly tendencies towards uh, growth, I suppose, and marketing and product. But You're a scholar of life. Oh, there's the phrase. Love it. All right. Well, what are we going to be scholarly about today? Um I've so far just said notable mentions, but really we've been going through a series of comparing uh, big names in the AI space to OpenAI. Um, we have not mentioned a few that we should. One of those is Cohere. Another one is Mistral. Um, perplexity. And I mean, it's a little bit unfair to put them in the same bucket as these other three because they're worth $1.5 trillion. But NVIDIA do also have their own um, model, which is called Nemo, which we can uh, talk about as well. So let's start with um, Cohere. Uh, any initial thoughts on those or shall I uh, give them an intro? Go ahead. So I think Cohere are a really interesting one in this group. They're based in Toronto. They actually just opened a second headquarters in San Francisco because, you know, AI. Their founder and CEO, Aidan Gomez, was actually one of the eight authors of the research paper, Attention is All You Need, which we've referenced before, credited with changing the AI industry and helping lead to the creation of ChatGPT as it uses the paper's proposed transformer architecture. Any corrections on that bit, by the way? I don't want to uh, get any of that wrong. 
No, everything's correct. And yeah, that is a famous paper and uh, everyone involved uh, in that paper has some kind of status, including Aiden. Yeah. Uh, Cohere are reportedly in the middle of raising a $1 billion round. Uh, we'll pop a link to that story, which has come out over the last few days in the show notes. Interestingly, people think that will be dwarfed because OpenAI are trying to raise much, much more money at the same time. And we'll get onto the bitter lesson and what that means later. Uh, Cohere specialize in chatbots. So nothing really new there. Um, and search functionality, which is a little bit interesting. Um, but they specialize in those areas uh, as chatbots and search functionality for companies, for enterprise, rather than for individual consumers. So that's quite a unique take. Uh, we've seen OpenAI beefing up their enterprise efforts over the last six to 12 months, perhaps. But Cohere claimed that they've been doing that all along. And um, they claim, therefore, that they are the leading generative AI tool for enterprise use. And they do have a couple of big sticker logos. Uh, they are embedded into several Oracle products and have been embedded into several Salesforce products. So fairly big names. And the idea is here that companies can use their own data to train their Cohere AI models without sharing that data. And that last bit, that's the key bit for enterprises. For instance, Oracle, which now owns major healthcare cloud provider Cerner, has used its own data to train Cohere for medical and first responder professionals. So that would be on sensitive data that that company has access to, but you wouldn't want being shared with the wider training data set of the model. So a very interesting one. And it, it's been around uh, for a while, 2019, I think. And I'd be interested to know um, if you've heard much about it uh, or what your thoughts are on Cohere. So I've definitely heard of Cohere. They're one of the big names alongside OpenAI and uh, Anthropic for providing APIs with uh, language models. They're, they're very interesting. Because of the business focus, I haven't had an opportunity to uh, to try out their models. But at the same time, I don't really see their models in comparison. So I just wonder how they would be compared to open source models like the Llama 2 models that we discussed last time. Because those models as well, you can, uh, you can have the same uh, fine tuning on private data aspect, right? And I wonder whether Cohere's models are better than that. I, I would hope so. You would definitely hope so. So you haven't seen benchmarking of Cohere? I'm sure that it exists, but no, I haven't. I did attend one of their um, launch events last year in London, where they, they had a fireside chat with Aidan and uh, the chief scientist. And uh, I, I was quite impressed with uh, how they described their organization and the internal teams that, uh, that they have to train those language models. I think they have a pretty big team that are taking it seriously. So... Um, I'm excited to uh, to try out their models and uh, see how they perform. It must be a bit harder, you would think, to benchmark a tool where its entire purpose is to be fine-tuned and specialized. But they also have uh, generalist models, so you can just sign up and use their uh, models without fine-tuning, right? So that, that would be the performance that, that would be benchmarked. It also looks like, although they claim that they don't do anything for individual consumers, like a chat GPT product, they do have a button on their homepage that says chat with our model and you can just sign up and you can play around. They've got a playground. Um, they have 
uh, a knowledge assistant which allows you to do sort of retrieval augmented generation which do you mind explaining a little bit about rag because i hear that term that acronym come up quite a bit with regards to ai um, yeah it's we, we have our own internal technique. use for it so i always get a little bit confused so the general idea is this that uh, sometimes you have a long document that doesn't actually fit in a language model so if you want to uh, retrieve information from that document or many documents or the web or whatever and uh, feed them to the language model in order to generate a reply. You cannot just put everything into the prompt. So what you tend to do in those uh, cases is do a retrieval augmented generation. So that has two steps. First, you do the retrieval. So based on the user query, you go and retrieve the um, sections of the document or pages in the web or whatever that are most relevant to that query. And then with that subset of uh, of texts, you go to the language model, you give it the query, you give it the relevant information, and you ask it to, uh, to provide a reply to the user query. So that's uh, the, this combination of the retrieval aspect, find similar relevant information, and generation aspect. So take that relevant information, give it to the language model, and have it generate a reply for you. Is that something that pretty much all models with an API allow for? Um, you can build a RAG pipeline using a model with an API. But for example, ChatGPT by default does not use that, right? You have to, uh, to build a pipeline that does this. If you've used uh, tools on ChatGPT that allow you to uh, upload a document, for example, and uh, ask questions of it, like any of the ask my PDF uh, document a question um, GPT plugins, then they probably use uh, retrieval augmented generation to, to do that. And also now OpenAI offers something similar with their assistants. So you can have an assistant where you upload your documents and then you ask questions and then that does use retrieval augmented generation. But it's not something that's built in into the base models. So overall, with what we know about Cohere, just before we move on to the next one, Mistral, uh, any, any thoughts or feelings towards them other than the fact that you've been impressed by what you've heard and i guess we should be impressed with the uh, partnerships they have with oracle and salesforce and that they are running i guess it's not on prem but it's like the equivalent it's like private cloud or private model uh in in the healthcare space and we know that healthcare ai is uh you know ripe for disruption in general i'd, I'd keep an eye on them because they're a big player, they have enough funding and a good enough team to uh, build good models. And I think there's space in the market for more than one or two or three players, right? So I think that uh, the models are possibly already good enough and they might come up with better models in the future and uh, who knows, maybe also challenge one of the bigger players. And if anyone listening has had a play with Cohere and knows of any benchmarking papers, please do send them our way so we can take a look and cover them more deeply next time. Moving on, one that I know you love. I do, yeah, Mistral. So it's a French company. Um, so a bit of European competition and uh, they are focusing on open models. So interestingly enough, we, we had a discussion in the last episode about this, about whether uh, Meta's Llama 2 model is really open source or uh, because they've 
they haven't published the code to train it, but only the weight. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, Mistral actually describes the models as open weight. So they do use that terminology. And I like that uh, term. I think that maybe Meta should also adopt this term since it, uh, it more closely resembles what the what is actually happening right so they're open and open sourcing the weights of the model or the model itself rather than the code used to train it so you can download the models and use them they are right now very trendy in the open source community because they've come up with a mixture of experts model called mixtral play on the name there and uh, it's a very good one. So it's smaller than uh, Lama 270 billions, but it outperforms it consistently and performs on the level of uh, GPT 3.5, apparently, which is uh, very good for an open source uh, model. So interestingly enough, a mixture of models is uh, supposedly what OpenAI also uses for GPT-4, right? So there's something there. And it uh, it allows for a, a big model to run like a smaller model. A little point here I'm curious about, and you know, very excited that the EU does have a company like this in the race. Um, I know there are others as well, but you know, the more the merrier, I would say. The eight times seven billion model in comparison to the 70 billion Llama 2 model on benchmarks, is saying 8 times 7 billion basically saying 56 billion? It's a great question, and it actually is not, because you don't, uh, it's eight experts, each expert models, each of those has uh, 7 billion parameters, right? But you don't use them all at the same time. So what happens is that for every token you generate, for every word you generate, let's say, um, there's only two experts at any time that are involved. And uh, there's, a, there's a bit of uh, architecture in the front selecting those experts. So for every token generation, you select two out of the eight, and then you generate using those two. So it's essentially equivalent to um, around a 13 billion model or 14 billion model rather than eight times seven, right? So it has the same speed as this, same memory requirements. So um, it's much, much quicker. Very interesting. And they can still use a large token window for this as well. You can still... Um... You know, I know context and tokens, uh, context windows, like the amount that you can put into a prompt um, before the model says, ah, oh, that's too much, I can't handle that. Um, that's sort of gone up and gone up and gone up. And 32K is actually heaps, right? I, I know people have competed on it, but it's a little bit like, um, you know, how people competed on the size of, say, an SD card. And it doesn't really matter that you can now get a micro SD card that is 512 gigabytes that fits in your camera because that's going to take you three years of photography to get anywhere near filling. Um, I think for, for longer documents, it does matter a bit. But just to put it into context, it is uh, GPT-4's initial context size was 8,000, right? So 13,000 is uh, 32,000 is very good compared to that. It doesn't reach Anthropics 100,000 or the new GPT-4 Turbo models uh, context sizes. And in practice, it might matter a bit for very long documents, but it is a very respectable uh, context size, let's say, especially for an open source model. And are you able to 
discuss any more about the possible ways that they have these sort of eight experts, right? You use those words, those would sound like they're people. They're obviously not people. This is what, like, the way I'm imagining this is you can sometimes tweak the, I think they're called the hyperparameters um, of GPT-4, for example. You can ask it to be more creative, less creative through the temperature hyperparameter. You can ask it to repeat itself less and other hyperparameters that I'm sure uh, are more useful. The eight experts, could it be as simple as different weights of those hyperparameters? And when the prompt gets thrown in, is there something on the front end? You said the front end that's that just says, oh, for this, we want something that's not creative and we want something that doesn't repeat itself. So that is one expert. Um, and then those two experts run through it and then what it combines that it synthesizes and says, okay, there were some interesting bits that were creative because one of the experts was actually half creative, but not fully creative, right? You don't want a fully creative thing to uh, try and solve a maths problem. You want something that's quite uh, cut and dry. So uh, how do you imagine that works? Uh, and are there any other words other than the word expert that might uh, be easier to visualize? Essentially, each of the experts, let's say, is a, is a bit of a separate model. They do exist in the same model architecture, including the thing that I mentioned at the front. So it's not at the front end, it's still part of the model. But let's say that there's, a, there's someone initially, a mini expert that selects where to route the requests, right? Um, that's still all part of the same model, but you can think of each of the experts as a sub-model within that model. They have different weights, they're trained on different data, so they can handle different scenarios. One aspect might be what, what you mentioned. I don't know if it actually is, so uh, creativity, for example, but I would imagine that they're also trained on diverse data. So one expert might be trained on more legal data, or the other might be trained on more medical data, so have a, a sub-expertise on that domain. That said, I'm guessing, I'm not actually sure how, how their model uh, has been trained. And I don't think that they say either. They say that it's been trained on data crawled from the open web. But that's that's the case for all models, I guess, currently. Maybe yeah, not that's all. standard. Also, it's funny that they say that. And yet they say that they are open and transparent. Not that open and not that transparent. But they are, you know, we... Uh, we do love the fact that they have transparent access to weights, which means that it is more customizable than many models. So that is that is great to see. Uh, is, is Mistral, are any of those models available on Hugging Face? I'll just go have a quick search now. But I, uh, they, they are, I yeah, they are. Yeah. And the community has taken a lot of those models and made them even easier to run by doing a process called uh, quantization, where you take a model and essentially lower its fidelity or like like it's a bit like lowering the resolution on an image i guess you still get the same image but a bit uh, fuzzier um but then you can run it much quicker on your local computer for example so there's a lot of uh, community work to enable this with uh, the mistral models it's also interesting that uh, they offer these models as a, an API, a managed service, right? So I assume that's how they, that's the business plan. That's how they make the money as well. So if you don't want to go through the hassle of hosting that model yourself or running it locally, you can go to Mistral and just like pay them for API usage, just like uh, OpenAI. Also similar to part of the Hugging Face business model we were discussing. 
there obviously seems to be a demand there that these Correct. companies are discovering yeah. that people are happy for pay as you go rather than investing in their own architectures to to run these things. It's very interesting how both Hugging Face and Mistral are French companies. So the open source uh, uh, competitors are both European and not just that, but both French companies as well. It seems to be something in France, maybe in the water. Something in the water in France. There we go. We've become a conspiracy podcast. Oh, do we want to say anything about Mistral other than that there's something in the water just to round that off? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Especially for open source. Right now, they're topping the leaderboards. The model is very efficient. It uses a mixture of uh, experts. It's uh, very cool. So um, definitely one to try out. I suppose we know the answer to this for NVIDIA, but it's interesting we haven't seen this. But the, the question I have, now we've looked at the sort of four notable mentions to give people a bit of background, feel free to go back. But basically, since the this, this second season of using AI, we have gone through tools that or models that could be compared to, in some form, open AI's models. So we've looked at Anthropic and Claude. Uh, we've looked at Google, Gemini and Bard, Meta, Llama, uh, Hugging Face, which was a little bit of a curveball because they're, they're not really a comparison. And then uh, the Notable mentions from this episode, Cohere, Mistral, Perplexity, and NVIDIA's Nemo. But the fundraising in this space is mad. And it seems to come back to the idea that the more money you have, the more data and the more compute you can put into building these foundation models. And although there are some architectural innovations that mean that maybe you can still get great results from 7 billion rather than 70 billion parameters, there is this concept, isn't there? of the bitter lesson. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, Alex, and if you're able to describe that for us. So bitter lesson refers to a blog post by Richard Sutton, I think, um, a few years ago, 2019. And it's that essentially the biggest advances in AI over the years have been due to more data and more compute rather than architectural changes in the models, which I would I would say is partially true because some of those architectural changes, like transformers, for example, are what enables big compute as well. So it's not just that we have more uh, uh, powerful hardware or more data to uh, put into those models, it would be impossible to train at the scale that we are training without the transformer architecture. And maybe there's more architectural advancements waiting to happen that will mean that we can use our compute more efficiently and then put more data into those models and thus have better results. And it's already happening, right? So there's a ton of techniques that allow you to uh, replicate the results of much bigger models, as you mentioned, with uh, smaller models. And it's a it's a never-ending battle, essentially. It might well be that the best performing models, though, will come from the companies that have more resources at their disposal, right? Yeah, and I suppose that is a bit of a, a red flag for startups wanting to enter this area because it's not a case of, okay, you do a Series A round and you can compete in any sense. Not that it is in many industries, but the the size and the scale of growth like the speed of the growth and the, actually the scale that these companies are at now does mean that they have access to a larger data set and 
larger compute. I'm pretty sure OpenAI has like a 10 billion investment deal with NVIDIA to buy GPUs, for example. Like that's the entire value of the Microsoft partnership, which everyone thought at the time was a bananas size partnership and investment. And now it's just what they're spending on GPUs from NVIDIA over the next few years. And it feels a little bit like by brute forcing the data set size and the compute power, you get these emergent capabilities that we still don't quite know why they happen. At the and, same time, yeah. if you think about a year ago, a bit more than a year now where uh, ChatGPT came out, a year later, we have models with the same capabilities as ChatGPT running locally on our computers, right? So is a year that much of a mode for OpenAI? Maybe there'll be a few months ahead, but if open source and self-running models catch up this quickly, then maybe it's not such a big problem. And I think that for a lot of uh, the companies that you mentioned, first of all, there's more space in the market than just for open AI. And second, it might then depend on essentially your business proposition. So what segment of the market you're going after, whether you're focusing on privacy or self-running models like uh, Coheres, right? Self-hosted models, sorry. So even without the scale of compute and data that OpenAI has, I think smaller companies can still have a value proposition and compete with OpenAI on a specific segment of the, of the market. Maybe in a few years, models will be good enough that small differences won't matter, right? And you'll just be running a model on your phone that's uh, kind of uh, as good as... Uh, anything that OpenAI runs, so very close enough to that so that it's uh, commoditized as a, as a tool. Yeah, there may be a point where the quality of the responses is so impressive that we are unable to discern the difference anymore. Like the difference between a 4K TV and an 8K TV, you start to not be able to see the pixels with the human eye, right? Um, I think that's a, a wonderful note to wrap this episode up. And thank you very much for doing some research into those and for bringing that to us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, cheeky request, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please can you give us a review? Go on, just uh, hit that little five-star button. Uh, helps people find the show. And likewise, if you're on Spotify, uh, please do the reviews on there. If you're on another platform, congratulations. You are relatively unique, and we love you for that. So do whatever you can do on those. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Bye.